0: going to be this morning. We're continuing Acts. We're going to continue in Acts through the fall uh, and we're going to be in Acts 18 18 through 28 today. So Acts chapter 18 18 through 28 and this is a relatively short passage and this is one of those passages that I think it's easy to skip over passages like this. I'll just put it that way. Um, But today's passage, it's a it's it's a transitional one. It marks the transition from Paul's second missionary journey, which we know that the book of Acts is structured around these missionary journeys of Paul. So we've been through the first missionary journey. Now we're coming to the end of the second missionary journey and the beginning of the third journey. We're going to look at both of those in today's passage. And here we see Paul heading into new territory as he finally gets to go where he wanted to go at the beginning of this journey, which is Asia or Asia Minor in Ephesus. So he wanted so bad to get into Ephesus, but he was blocked. God kept him out of there and he resigned himself to trust in God's will. And he ended up obviously going a a long way around, but now he's finally getting back to where he wanted to go in Ephesus. And I got to tell you, talking about new frontiers, August, I don't know where you guys are in your life and life circumstances, but August is always a month Of pushing into new frontiers for our family. Um, There's always something new. For us, at least in the stage of life we're in right now, that that means new grades, grade levels, new teachers, new classes, new classmates, new kids activities. All these things are new to us. And maybe you're facing new territory in your life as well. Then that could be a new role at work. I've talked to several of y'all that are taking on either new jobs or a new role at your current job. Maybe it's Uh, uh, some other new set of circumstances that that weren't here last year when you rolled into the fall, into August. As we face these new circumstances, and that's something that we all have in common, we are going to face new circumstances. We are going to be brought to new frontiers in our life. But as we face those, here's the great temptation for all of us, man, woman, and child. The great temptation is anxiety. It's to be anxious about those new circumstances. And we might feel anxious about what wasn't accomplished last year, right? When you get to a new set of circumstances, sometimes you grieve the seeming loss of opportunity of what you didn't do or what you didn't accomplish in the previous season. Or maybe it's anxiety over not feeling prepared for whatever's around the corner. We feel anxiety both ways, looking backward and looking forward, right? And uh, as many of you guys know, just as an example of this, uh, Chris is really taking the lead. Crystal Point is taking the lead on starting something brand new for our church. So we were really wrestling with how can we as fathers of sons intentionally disciple our sons, intentionally come alongside our sons in the church context, in a Christian context, to raise them up to be godly young men and someday godly men. And so he leaned into that, and we've decided to implement a brand new program called Trail Life USA, which is it's it's the it's in the context of outdoor activities, camping, uh, all sorts of fun activities, but it's for fathers and sons to intentionally come alongside, and we do that together as a community. And so he's leaning into that. But I got to tell you, like just this past week, I told uh, my sons and I have been doing Cub Scouts, and that's what I grew up doing as Cub Scouts, right? Well, just this last week, we told the leaders of the Cub Scouts uh, that we weren't going to be doing that this next year, and we were going to be doing this father-son thing through our church. And you know what immediately I was anxious about? Immediately I was anxious about, like, having to forsake, seemingly having to forsake all those relationships with all those men, all those other dads from the neighborhood, that now I'm, I'm kind of grieving, man, I should have had that guy over, you know, for, for uh, invited him to lunch, or I should have had that conversation with that person. Right. And so I'm, I'm anxious about what I didn't accomplish as I move into this new stage. Um, and honestly, looking forward, I feel a little nervous. I don't know. I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to be the one that feels like super confident about discipling my kids to love and serve the Lord. But I feel a little anxious about coming alongside my boys to, to raise them up to be godly men. Right. That's something that uh, this is unfamiliar territory for me in a lot of ways. And so I'm anxious about it. Um, in fact, it's funny. Shelby shared about the student ministry last week, and one of the things she warned us against was not to, in our anxiety as parents, not to offload the role of discipling, the primary role of discipling our kids, to somebody who's cool and hip and young and knows what TikTok is. and You know what I mean? Like, like somebody that can come alongside our kids in like a cool way. But really, that's not how God designed this thing. And so as I have that temptation to want to offload that to student ministry or whoever, some program or some person, I have to realize that, no, like God's put me in their lives. God's put me in that position. Um, but all the same, I'm tempted towards anxiety. And I know you guys are too. Whether we're heading toward a new frontier, as we often are, or if we're hanging back in the same mode of life, same set, sets of circumstances we've been in, either way, we're going to be tempted toward anxiety. But today's big idea, this is the big idea for the sermon, is that God works with, hear me, and without us. God works with us, you, you better believe that, and he works without us. And so we can trust his will whether we're coming or going whether we're looking backward or looking forward, whether we're in the same circumstances or moving into new circumstances, we can trust God's will. He works with us and he works without us. So first, we can trust God with the way that we go in this life. And by the way we go in this life, I mean the direction, uh, not just geographically, but but everything. The way we go in this life, we can trust God with that. And sometimes we're going to be in a place for a long time And sometimes we're going to be in a place for a short time. And you know, that's okay. Either way, we can trust God. So let's look at those. We can trust God with a long stay. Now, you can apply this however you want in your life, right? Again, it doesn't have to be geographic, distance or moving. But when we're in a place for a longer stay than we would have anticipated, look at how this shakes out in verse 18. It says, Now Paul, when he had remained many days longer took leave of the brothers and sisters and sailed away to Syria. And and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. You remember he he met this uh, Jewish couple that got kicked out of Rome uh, and they were in Corinth and he was doing his leather work or tent making with them. So they came with him to Ephesus and it says "And Priscilla and Aquila were with him. Paul first had his hair cut at Sincrea for he was keeping a vow. That's a little parenthetical we'll talk about in a second. Um, Paul, so, so what do we see in just the first verse? We see that Paul had a relatively long stay at Corinth. Guys, think back to Paul's life. Was he ever anywhere for long since becoming a Christian on the road to Damascus? This guy was like getting dropped out of windows on the town wall in a basket to escape persecution. He's getting stoned and left for dead outside of villages and popping back up and going to the next village down the road. Like, he is itinerant. He is on the move, right? So, relatively speaking, his stay in Corinth was relatively long. It was a year and a half that he settled down there. But this is because it was the Lord's will for Paul to be there for a year and a half. And the Lord had promised to protect him. Y'all remember last week, we looked at verses 9 and 11 in chapter 18. And remember what Jesus said to Paul back in 9 and 11, right before today's passage. The Lord said to Paul by a vision at night... Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And he settled there for a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. So guys, it was God's will for Paul to have a relatively longer stay in Corinth than in other places. And in verse 18, Luke tells us that Paul had cut his hair after... Didn't that seem weird? There's so much scholarly debate. These Bible scholars get together and figure out, what is this thing with him cutting his hair, right? There's clearly, he's, he's, this is, has to do with a vow. And some people believe that this vow, uh, it may have been an act of thanksgiving. Thanking God in response to how God protected him and provided for him for that year and a half in Corinth, which is why he had his haircut after he left Corinth when he was at the port city just down the road. Um, but that that that's not for sure. But that could have easily been it. He's saying, God, I recognize that you kept me here in this place for a long time, and you protected me while I was there, and you provided for me, and I thank you, God. That could have been it. But it was rare for Paul to stay so long in any city. But he was thankful for that time that God had given him for what? To reach the many people that God had in Corinth. Exactly what Jesus said. And to establish a church there, the Corinthian church. Two of the inspired letters sent to that church. Now we can also trust God with a short stay. Look at verses 19 through 23. It says, They came to Ephesus and he left them there. Now he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Remember, Paul is Jewish. Paul is steeped in the Hebrew scriptures, the law and the prophets and the writings. And he immediately goes to his brothers and sisters who are Jews to share with them. There was an anticipation of a personal Messiah, the great, 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 great grandson of the King David. So there's this personal anticipation of a personal Messiah. And he's going in the synagogue, he's going, brothers and sisters, this is the Messiah. This is how the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures said the Messiah would come as our Savior first and then someday as king and conquering king and judge, right? So he's laying that out in the synagogues first and foremost, and he does that in Ephesus as well. Anywhere there's a synagogue, he goes there first to talk to them because they've got the Hebrew Scriptures as their background. The pagan Gentiles didn't know the Hebrew Scriptures, so he couldn't talk in those terms to them. So it says... um, when they, this would be the Jewish people he's talking to, when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he did not consent, but took leave of them and said, listen to what he says. I love this. I will return to you again if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. So it goes on to say when he had landed at uh, Caesarea, which is on the coast of Judea and Syria, uh, he gets to this Coastal town. It says he went up. It technically doesn't say to Jerusalem, but you can infer at least a lot of translations infer that going up from Caesarea is to go to Jerusalem up in the mountains. So it seems like he went up to Jerusalem uh, and greeted the church there. And he went down to Antioch, which is remember where he had left from. And after spending some some time there, some time there, he left and passed successively through the Galatian region and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. So he's going to all these churches that would have been planted in his first and second missionary journeys. Strengthening the churches, teaching them, encouraging them. And on this trip, Paul spent a short time in Ephesus. Did you catch that? You see how intentional Luke is to say long time in Corinth, short time in Ephesus, right? He, he felt led to move on quickly, even though this was the place he wanted to spend so much time at the beginning of his journey. Because he knew that Ephesus, the city of Ephesus, was key to reaching not just Asia Minor, but that whole region of the, of the Mediterranean. It was, a, it was a port city. It was on a trade route. It was There was just so much strategic reason to plant there. And yet he felt to just stay a short time and move on. And if God wills, he would return <clears throat> So now he's trying to get back to Antioch from whence he came. And there's a lot of speculation on this. But if he did go to Jerusalem, it may be because he wanted to get to Jerusalem for the the Passover feast. Because what happens is, and this is, I'm not like, I have no understanding of nautical realities. Okay, I'm not a sailor. Um, But they stopped sailing that part of the Mediterranean in the winter months. And only in March could you get another ship to bring you from Ephesus over to Judea and to Jerusalem. And so as they're getting on to the winter months, it seems like Paul's in a hurry to catch a ship to get over to Caesarea, Jerusalem, and Antioch before the shipping shuts down for the season. Because it's, it's a very short window if you, if you wait for a ship in March to get to the Passover uh, within a couple weeks from then. All right? So he, he's in kind of a hurry and he wants to get there. Um, And and even when Paul arrives in Antioch, right, he goes back to the church that sent him, that laid hands on him and commissioned him and sent him out. He doesn't stay there for long. So he wants to get back. He doesn't stay there for long. He wants to return to Ephesus and strengthen all these new churches along the way. You got to understand, Paul knew that when he left a place, that church was going to face the same persecution that he faced He knew that when he left a place, they didn't have email, they didn't have social media, they didn't even have really a a reliable mail system, okay? So he knew that he was going to have to equip them every opportunity he could to pour into them to help them understand good doctrine and teaching and such, and be encouraged in their faith to persevere. And so he wants to get to Ephesus, but on the way, reach out and strengthen all these. And guys, this is the beginning of Paul's third missionary journey that we're going to spend some more time in in the coming weeks. Along the way, Paul trusted God with where he would go, whether that meant he was going to stay somewhere a long time or whether he was going to stay sometime a short time. You can wrap it all up in the phrase, if God wills, if God wills. And I think we can all think about times when we're surprised by how short or how long we end up staying someplace. That could be in a house. That could be in a neighborhood. That could be in a job. That could be in a church. We move around for different reasons at different times. Sometimes it's stuff that we can't control, right? Um, I think the, the, the uh, international situation with refugees and asylum seekers is a good example of that. That's how Priscilla and Aquila got, I mean, it wasn't their fault that they got kicked out of Rome by Emperor Claudius, right? But they ended up meeting Paul in Corinth. And so we don't know how all this works, but we all face these times when we just think, I thought I was going to be there longer in that relationship. Or that place or that neighborhood or whatever else. I, I, thought, I thought I was only going to be there a little while in that place, that job, that whatever, and all of a sudden I'm there much longer than I anticipated. And along these lines, I really loved hearing about how God has been directing the Wilson family. So Will and Ashley, and I asked their permission to, to spotlight them But I I couldn't help it. Like I've been praying. Many of y'all have been praying with them over the past six months about decisions on schooling for their kids, on work uh, opportunities um, for Ashley. And there's just been a lot of details. And, And them being the people that they are, they've been asking for prayer and support. And so I've had the privilege of praying alongside them. And God clearly led them as we prayed, as an answer to our prayers, to go to a charter school and they went there this, this past year. I remember last summer we were praying about this. And all three of the kids got in from the wait list. And it just felt like God was going, yes, this is what you need to be doing. And so they went there. And they were there for a year after enrolling. And Ashley was, was working up there. And they just loved her, which is not hard to see why. Uh, but she was doing a great job teaching. She, was, she had some job opportunities there. Sadly, those job opportunities would have meant that she wouldn't have been able to be the kids discipleship director at our church But we were trusting god with all that and we were praying about it, right? And so then at the beginning of the summer while i'm away with my family on vacation I I come back and even before I get back. I find out that that God's been doing some more stuff in their hearts and in their life and in their marriage as they've been talking about it. And they decided that after that one year at that charter school, they were going to put their kids into Austin Classical, where so many of our families have their kids. And they were going to kind of double down back on this neighborhood, back on the people here, the people in our church. And not only was she going to stay in the role of kids discipleship director, but now she's actually increasing her time that she's putting towards that every single week. So her job is expanding as our kids discipleship director. And of course, I'm elated because we're sitting there. I was like, who are we going to get to replace Ashley? Like, this is this is so difficult. But and and we did all the stuff, you know, churchstaffing.com, you know, job descriptions, everything else. I got like zero nibbles on that job. And it's like God was just holding it open so that when the time came and he redirected their hearts back here, they could step into that and even more so. And that's just a perfect example, I think, of how God works in our life and how sometimes we just find ourselves in places that we think we're going to be for a very short time and we're there much longer. Or we think we're going to be there a really long time and it's shorter than we could have ever anticipated. Um, And they're just like... All of us together as a church family, they're trusting God's will in this, just like Paul said, if God wills, right? So we can trust God with where we go, regardless of how long we end up staying there. So here's the application for you guys and for me, right? How how are we trusting God's will? Are we trusting God's will? Are we prepared to settle in in some circumstance of our life if that's God's will? Are we prepared to move on to some new set of circumstances if that's God's will? Do you see God's hand? Are are, are we looking for God's hand and his will in things like marriage, in things like uh, parenting, moving, job changes, even job changes when we get terminated from a position? Do we see God's will in that? Are we looking for God's hand and what his will might be for us? Because, folks, that's when... We're no longer victims. We get to actually look at our circumstances, even those really hard circumstances, like getting fired from a job or getting laid off, right? And we can look at that and go, God's will is in this. And we can be joyful and purpose-filled about that. So we can trust God with the way we go in life. Folks, we can also trust Him while we're away. We can trust God in our absence. That makes me cringe to say that because I struggle so much with this concept. But in other words, we... As Christians, as followers of Christ, can be absolutely confident that while we're away, God is still working. When we're not there, He's still working. So let's look at how this this works itself out in the life of Paul. In verses 24 to 28, we see God doing what? He's explaining things to people, he's encouraging people, he's equipping Christians, even after the great apostle Paul has left the building he's still accomplishing all this. One of my favorite reasons for liking this passage so much is that so much is happening when Paul's not there. I think so often we read the book of Acts and we go, well, if I was a super Christian like Paul, then I could do all that stuff, but we don't have Paul and I'm not Paul, right? Like, it's not about Paul. It's about his faithfulness and his obedience, but God could do just the same through any one of us if we were faithful and obedient, Right. And so I love this because it's a picture of what happens when Paul's not there. Well, we're going to see. Look at verses 24 to 28. Even when we're gone, God is explaining things to people through other people besides us. So Paul had had plenty of time to explain solid Christian doctrine to Priscilla and Aquila. He was literally with them, working with them, teaching with them, evangelizing with them for a year and a half in Corinth. They were on the ship to Ephesus together. They were in Ephesus together for a short time. So he had lots of opportunity to unpack some solid Christian teaching, biblical understanding to them, right? So he explained a lot, no doubt, to them, but after he leaves, Apollos arrives and it's up to Priscilla and Aquila to explain the Christian faith more fully to this young, promising preacher. Now, in our humanness, we would say, man, we've got this up-and-coming young preacher from Alexandria, which was, Alexandria was like a center of intellectualism, philosophy. Uh, that's where the Hebrew scriptures were translated into to Koine Greek. There's a huge Jewish population in Alexandria, Uh, The uh, Jewish philosopher Philo is from there. There's a lot going on in Alexandria. And people were known for their intelligence, their eloquence, their rhetorical ability. And so you get this guy, Apollos, and we think, whoa, we don't want to mess this up. So let's get our A-team in there. Paul, come on. We need you. You got to get back here. No. It was the quote-unquote B-team, right? And I say that jokingly because I'm sure Priscilla and Aquila were amazing Christian man and woman. But, but Paul wasn't there to explain these things more fully to Apollos. Look at how this plays out in verses 24 to 26. It says, Now a Jew named Apollos, an Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus, and he was proficient in the scriptures. He understood the Hebrew scriptures back and forth. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, He was accurately speaking and teaching things about Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. You remember why John was having people baptized? Baptism of repentance. Going all the way back to Malachi and Isaiah and the Hebrew scriptures, he would go before Messiah, calling the nation and then the nations to repentance, to to make way, to make straight the path for the Lord. And the Lord, somehow this Messiah figure, who's also Yahweh, the Lord, is going to show up. After John. So, John's baptism was all about repentance and preparing our hearts, humbling our hearts to receive the Lord. And so, this is the only baptism that Apollos had known. So, he was missing some information. And it says, and he began speaking boldly in the synagogue. Which synagogue? The exact same one that Paul had been preaching in, who knows, weeks earlier? And so it says he began speaking boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God more accurately to him. Guys, he had holes in his theology. He had holes in his biblical interpretation of the Hebrew scriptures. He had holes in his understanding of the mystery of the gospel and of the baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the point in all of this is that even when we're gone, God is explaining things to people, right? Even when we're gone, God is also encouraging others through other people. So eventually Paul is going to, Paul will meet Apollos at one point, okay? And Paul's going to encourage this young guy greatly. I assume he's young. Anyway, Paul's going to encourage him at some point, but not yet. So while Paul is away from Ephesus, it's up to who to encourage Apollos in his preaching and teaching ministry, Well, it's up to the brethren. It's up to the brothers and sisters in Christ in the church in Ephesus. They have to do what otherwise Paul would do. And that's how it works out in the first half of verse 27. Look, it says, and when he, that is when Apollos, wanted to go across to Achaia, that's um, modern day Greece, that's where Corinth and Athens and all these places were. So when he wanted to go over there and take his ministry over there, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. You know, normally it's Paul sitting off a letter going, hey, this person's great. You know, hey, you should uh, welcome this person, show this person hospitality, meet this person's needs. Well, Paul's not there. So it's up to the church, it's up to the brethren there to do exactly what Paul would have done. And then even while we're gone, God is also equipping through other people. God doesn't need you or me to equip people. He can do it through others as well. So Paul had already spent how long in Achaia? 18 months. He'd already been there a year and a half plus because he was in Athens for a little while too. So he had been there and now this talented preacher, Apollos, wants to use his gifts to lead even more people to Christ and to equip even more people in the faith in the same places that Paul had been before. So look at verses 27 and 28, our last two verses. It says, and when Apollos, we already read that, but he goes across to Achaia. Achaia, The brothers encouraged him. They wrote to the disciples. That's the disciples in Corinth and Athens and places telling them to welcome him. And when he had arrived, listen to what he does. He greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Now, a lot of of Jews in the synagogue in Corinth and Athens and other places had become followers of Christ, believing that Jesus was the Messiah. When it says that he's powerfully refuting the Jews in public, he's talking about the synagogue rulers, well, the ones that didn't become Christians like Sosthenes and Crispus and stuff, but he's talking to these people that are rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. They're saying, we're not going to buy that. We're not going to believe that. So he, so now Apollos is doing what Paul does. He's powerfully refuting their reasoning on this in public, in the synagogue. And it says he's demonstrating by the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. The same thing Paul was doing. He's looking at the Hebrew scriptures saying, look, it's all right here. The Christ had to die for our sins, had to rise again. Jesus died on the cross. He rose again. Jesus is the Messiah. So while we're away, we can trust that God is always working, always working. Uh, A few years back, I'll give you a little insight into. This was actually six years ago. This was before we launched publicly. Um, we were meeting at the, the the youth room of a of a Baptist church down the street, and uh, and I remember I had to leave like right after a Sunday service one Sunday, and this young family had visited that day uh, from the neighborhood down the street, and um, and after I left, and Stacy probably remembers this. I felt really anxious because I thought, man, if I'm not there, because again, like we didn't have everything, you know up and running. We weren't like this well-oiled machine. I'm like, what if they came, which I saw that they had, what if, what if afterwards nobody talked to them? What if afterwards nobody asked, hey, who, who are you? how did you get here? Who do you know? Like, where do you live? Like, what if nobody did that? And they just felt like shunned, like nobody took an interest in them, right? And I was really worried about this. And in fact, I told Stacy that. And then later that afternoon, it's like, God gave me just several hours. He gave me the afternoon to kind of be anxious about that. And then I'm talking to the Reichleys, and I find out that they had invited this family to lunch. I don't know if you all remember this, but they had invited, they not only talked to them, but they invited them to lunch and sat and lingered and gotten to know them a little bit. And these were our our friends from back up in Fort Worth that had moved down here. And I, I was so blessed by that, but it was like, and I actually wrote it. I've got a list that I call Ebenezer's, and it's like these like stones of remembrance. It's like where I see God working in my life and providing in different ways. And I actually wrote that down. I said, Reikley's invited them to lunch after service because you know what that taught me it it, it taught me that God is greeting people even when I'm not there that God is using all of his members of his body the body of Jesus Christ in different ways at different times and it's not all on my shoulders to to be the one-man hospitality crew right and that was really a blessing to be reminded that while we're away we can trust that God is always working Folks, if we don't believe this, then we're going to feel anxious. We're going to feel like it's all up to us, whatever that it is in your life. You're going to feel like this crushing burden that it's all up to you to do whatever it is. We're going to think that we have to be the ones to do everything, to think of everything, to be everywhere all at once, meeting all the needs of everyone all the time. Even saying that makes me tired and overwhelmed. Okay, but that's what we slip into when we're not trusting that God's at work, even when we're gone. And how exhausting to think that it's somehow up to us to transform our spouse. How many of us have, you know, uh, I can how many spouses have been like my spouse wanting to change something about me, perhaps. Right. And it feels like I can't change this person. Right. Well, of course you can't. You can't change their heart or your kid. If you're a parent, I just I wish I could like just change this thing about my kid. You can't. But God is at work, even when you're not there, even when you're not actively doing. How exhausting would that be? What a burden we bear when we think it's up to us to make someone believe in Jesus. I I struggle with this. I think, gosh, if I can just articulate these truths, these apologetics, these, you know, scripture passages, if I could just do it just right, then I I can make that person believe what I believe. Guys, none of us can make anyone believe anything. That's not our job. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be faithful witnesses and leave that heart change and that life transformation up to God. And that goes for people who are already Christians. I can't just make you guys be more Christ-like or make myself be more Christ-like. There's things that we can do, but we ultimately have to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what we can't do even when we're not there on hand all the time. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to be attentive and diligent and obedient in our Christian walk. That's that's our role, right, is to just be obedient and and trust the Lord's will in these things. Right. I'm simply saying that none of those things I just mentioned are ultimately up to us. We have to trust in the Lord, especially when we're not there, when we're away. So God accomplished a lot through Apollos in Corinth while Paul was away. I often wonder about that. I'm like, you know, here's, here's Paul, and here's this promising young preacher from, you know, none other than Alexandria, and he's eloquent, and he's this, he has this incredible rhetorical ability and insight and intellect. Uh, he's an orator, a speaker. Like, I think for, for Paul, he could easily go, man, like... I'm kind of intimidated by that, or I I probably do a better job than he does, right? Because we compare ourselves all the time to other people, and we think, well, he's more gifted than I am, or maybe I'm more gifted than he is, and we try and kind of prove ourselves. But you know, that wasn't Paul's attitude. I don't know if he struggled with that. We don't see it in Scripture that he did. But when people were struggling with sin in the church in Corinth, I want to read this to you. So the Corinthians, you remember this from 1 Corinthians? When they began to associate themselves with Apollos, do you remember this? They had all this interaction with different apostles and different teachers and preachers. And so the church in Corinth started splitting up into little subgroups saying, I'm of Jesus. Those were the really holy ones. I'm of Jesus, you know. Well, I'm of Cephas, that's Peter, right? Or I'm of Apollos, or I'm of Paul, right? And Paul just hits that head on in the first couple chapters of First Corinthians. But but some of them said, I'm with Paul, and others said, I'm with Apollos. And I love how Paul reconciles the work that God was doing in Corinth and elsewhere through him and through Apollos and through everyone else he was using, even while these people were not there. Even while Apollos wasn't there, and Paul was. Or while Paul wasn't there, but Apollos was. And look at how he characterizes this in 1 Corinthians 3. Paul writes, For whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? I.e., is this really the Spirit of God in you? doing? No. What then, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted What he means is, I planted the gospel of Jesus Christ. I came in and I shared the gospel and people came to faith. Apollos watered. Apollos, a lot of what he was doing was equipping the church in Corinth when Paul wasn't there. He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave or brought the growth. How did people come to faith in Christ? How did people grow in Christ? It was God. But he was working through various people in various ways. And so it goes on to say, Paul writes, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. I love that. But only God who gives the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. In other words, he was there, I wasn't, I was there, he wasn't, he was doing this, I was doing that. We're one in the church. It's all a collaborative effort in Christ, right? So it says we are one and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor, according to each of our own obedience and faithfulness will be rewarded for that individually. And then he goes on to say, for we are God's co-workers or fellow workers. You, speaking to the church in Corinth, are God's field, God's building. Isn't that beautiful? So church, I'll just, I'll leave this, I'll leave it with this. We are all playing parts that are assigned to us by God. We are all playing different parts in God's plans to accomplish God's purposes. But we don't always know the when and the where, the how long, and the with whom. Sometimes that's just not revealed to us. But regardless of where we go or how long we stay there, we can always know that God is working through us and that our Christian co workers, our fellow laborers in the gospel, He's working through them as well as we each play our part under God's sovereign orchestration. And even when we don't seem to have a part to play, even when we're sitting there going, I don't know what I'm supposed to do, God, or I'm not there to do these things, God, even then we can trust that God will still be working through whomever he chooses to accomplish his purposes. And guys, that's a beautiful thought. Um, And I'll leave it at that. Next week, we're going to begin Paul's third missionary journey. uh, And that begins with his longest stay yet. Two whole years plus in Ephesus. So his third journey begins with this two-year stint in Ephesus where he really gets to to lay in uh, to the work there. So we're going to look at that starting next week.